You're listening to Tabletop Arcanum, a podcast dedicated to learning and exploring the hobby of tabletop gaming. Your hosts are Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, so sit back and relax as we talk, discuss, and joke our way through the hobby we love so much. as the city of Arkham lived on its placid island of ignorance in the midst of the black seas of infinity. Only a small handful of unlucky investigators dare plunge into the abyss to struggle against the ancient evils that threaten reality from every corner of this New England town. Arkham Horror is a cooperative game of mystery and terror for up to six players. Inspired by the writings of H.P. Lovecraft, Each unique scenario puts you in the shoes of one of Arkham's investigators as they explore the streets of the city and work together to save humanity from unknowable horrors. So welcome to the first review episode for Tabletop Arcanum. We're your hosts, Justin and Ricky. Today we'll be talking about Arkham Horror, the board game, 3rd edition. Not to be confused with Arkham Horror, the card game. When you're online talking about Arkham Horror, you're going to want to be specific now. So Arkham Horror, the board game, is coming out, or at the time of this release, should be out in your stores today. Mm -hmm. The benefit is you can listen to us talk about it and make up your mind before you decide you want to go to the store and buy it. We got this as an opportunity at Arkham Knights to buy the 3rd edition early. So I brought it home, and we've been playing it almost nonstop. There's going to be some major differences from 2nd edition to 3rd edition. Um, Much like 1st edition to 2nd edition, it's a brand new game with some familiar feelings. And last edition was in 2005. It is now 2018. we got 13 years of game evolution baked into this game. So I'm really excited to talk about it today. Role recap that we normally talk about. Of things that we've played recently, it can be boiled down to, we've played a lot of Arkham Horror. A ton. It it has been great. So great. Uh, One of the benefits of the game, the new version of the game, is that we've been able to actually crank in a bunch of different uh, plays of it, um, because it plays a lot faster. So, Mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to start off with a little bit of a history of the series, in case you're not familiar with. So the original Arkham Horror was released in 1987 with designer Richard Linus. Mm-hmm. Um, that was before Fantasy Flight even existed. So That was uh, released by Chaosium. Right, and they held mm-hmm. the H.P. Lovecraft license for the RPG and a lot of other things too. So mm-hmm. and it made a lot of sense that they, they had it. Jumped over to Fantasy Flight Games in 2005 when they revised and then reprinted it. Right. And so, uh, that's when they also brought in Kevin Wilson to kind of co-design it with Richard for the new edition. And that's kind of been the staple and was kind of the cornerstone of the Arkham Files universe for Fantasy Flight Games since 2005. Since then, they've released Eldritch Horror, which was a worldwide scale version of Arkham Horror, where you're battling and going across the entire world, opposed to just the sleepy town of Arkham. Elder Sign, which was the dice rolling game. They've also released now an Arkham Horror card game, which was a co-op deck construction game in the LCG format. So they've kind of taken this game and they've shaken it up a few times, and now they're going back to Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. Uh, Nikki Vellens is the one who's 
behind this iteration, taking a lot of the inspiration from Richard and Kevin and bringing a lot new fresher mechanics to it. So without further ado, let's dive a little bit more into what this 2018 edition of Arkham Horror is like. So in the base details, it is a one to six player game, which is a change from third edition or second edition uh, when it went up to eight players. I think this is a good thing because the seventh and eighth player were always more people at the table and caused a lot more time between turns and caused a lot more length of game. Um, the game's a lot quicker with six players. Uh, I always thought it, I always felt six players were kind of one of the sweet spots of the game where we add the seventh, eighth, it got a little bogged down. You know, four to six is where I used to say second edition shine the best. The main mechanics are a lot of action based movement where you get two actions around and you can kind of do that list of actions that you can do. Uh, you just can't do the same action twice in a turn. There's no real turn order anymore, uh, which is one of the major changes. So you can go first, or I can go first, or, or the third player can go first. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You just take your turn, I take my turn, I they take their turn. And as long as they complete their turn in that phase, we move on to the next phase. All the skill checks are just dice-based. The number of skill points you have is how many dice you roll, and you're looking for fives or sixes to count. And usually one success is all you need. So your checks are, the more dice you're chucking, the more likely you are going to pass. One of the other pieces that it does is it kind of builds into your investigator where you're getting cards, you're getting items to try to solve the mystery of the game that is evolving as you play. And you may not even know your end goal when you start the game, but it kind of tells us a little bit of a narrative story. So it's a very heavy uh, Ameritrash thematic game in that sense. Uh, Playtime is actually about two to three hours. Mm. Number of players do change that a little bit. So if you're at your higher player counts, you're going to be closer to that three-hour mark. And when you're at the lower player counts, we played a a three-player game that was just over two hours. And that was a little bit of a rules download to lead it up to and then started playing. So it's very easy to teach. It's very easy to pick up and play. The trickiest part of the game is usually the setup and just remembering some of the mechanics as you play through it. Especially if you played older editions, you may miss a step or here or there because you're not used to the new mechanic that they introduced. Entry level of play. What level of gamer do you think can pick this one up? For the level of gamer for this, I'd say it looks very complicated. It looks very complicated. It's not that complicated. Once you get into it, you kind of get a feel for what needs to happen, what's going to happen, what you need to do specifically. I've played 2nd Edition a handful of times. Jumping into this, it had been a while since I even had played 2nd Edition. Just being able to watch someone who may be experienced play through their turn once, you just go, okay, now I understand. You get the, the action sheet in front of you, you flip it over, it gives you the phases... All very spelt out for you. All very easy to catch on to really quick. Great. So not necessarily a gateway game, but kind of that next level. Mm-hmm. One of the benefits it does have is it is a fully co-op game. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a slightly less experienced player at the table, the group can kind of coach them along, at least help them. Just as we talked about in our lexicon episode, be careful of that quarterbacking mm-hmm. um, that can happen or alpha gaming that could happen there. But for the most part, if you have an experienced player and lesser experienced players, you're still going to get a lot of fun out of it. Mm. I want to talk about some of the changes uh, and kind of do a compare and contrast from 2nd edition to 3rd edition. Number one thing, they threw out the board. Yeah. No, I, I really... 
Like second edition, you had this, you know, map of Arkham with the different spaces. And it was like your classic board game of flip, flip, flip. There's the board. Now this is what we play on the entire game. They took what they did in Mansions of Madness, where you have these puzzle piece tiles, and they put it into this game. So you have a scenario sheet that you're playing against in each game. Um, The game comes with four scenarios to start with. We'll talk about the replayability of that a little bit later. But you have a scenario, you flip it on the back, there's your map layout of which tiles you're using to build this version of Arkham that you're going to be playing in. The districts, if you're familiar with second edition, are still around. You may only be playing with like five opposed to like the nine that second edition had that were always in play the mm. entire game. And the board changes a little bit depending on which scenario you are. So you're going to get some scenario, some areas in some, some areas in others. Areas may be rearranged. Mm-hmm. Um They did design the scenarios logically. So uh, the districts and things are a little bit rearranged, but not necessarily the town. Mm -hmm. So your locations are always going to be kind of structured next to each other or in in a logical way. That if you're familiar with the map, there's going to be districts that are next to each other because that's how they were in second edition. They just may not be using all of them. So if you're in downtown, you're not going to be connected easily to the south side of the city because those are on opposite ends of the board Mm -hmm. in the second edition game but north town and downtown are next to each other so they are when you put build the map in there you know so they they try to keep that pretty logical uh one thing that you are going to be missing in the third edition is the other world spaces there is no other world spaces they do something slightly different with the scenarios and we'll talk about that a little bit when we actually get to that mechanic that they that they introduced for it. Another big change was the investigators. Uh, you still get your investigator sheet with your different uh, starting cards and your different ability, just like second edition. However, the skills are a lot different. They went to more of the eldritch horror style skills, where you have a strength score, which is static. You know, one person is uh, strength two; they get two dice unless they get a bump in from an item or something. Uh, opposed to those. Uh, Dr. Mario pill sliders where, mm-hmm. you know, as you increased your strength, your sneak went down. As you increased your fight, your willpower went down. And as you increased your lore, your luck went down. So your, your stats are a little bit more static and a little bit more fixed. And I think that makes the game a lot better because I've been playing a lot of Eldritch Horror, which has that same mechanic. And even the card game your investigator sheet has a number for each of the four stats that you have in that game. And that's where you start, and then every, all your modifiers go off of that, and you mm-hmm. don't really have this changing option there. The one benefit of those uh, investigator signature cards is, let's say Marie starts with a spell called Intervene. Each investigator has a set of cards that are atta- kind of attached to their sheet, so you don't have to fish through the common item deck to find that item or spell that you're supposed to start with like you do in second edition or elder tour mm. you have a card with your character's name on the back that is that item that is the you know set aside for them it doesn't get shuffled mm-hmm. in the deck it's a unique item just for them because there might be a second copy or third copy in the deck but you're not fishing for it anymore mm-hmm. which when you die and you have to draw a new investigator and start a new character is so much easier than it used to be we kind of talked about it already. It's scenario-based. So instead of just playing this Elder God and that's the one we're facing and maybe there's a global effect because uh, Cthulhu is the one we're facing and everybody's health and sanity are reduced by one, 
No. There's a story, there's an element. You're looking a little bit more like mansions in this, but on a slightly larger scale than mansions, but not quite to the worldwide scale that Eldritch Horror fits. Um, the scenario sheet tells you a little bit of the story, and then they have a what they call the archive deck, which has your branching stories, and the scenario sheet tells you which which cards come out of there, and that's where your objectives come from of what you're trying to do, slash what you're trying to stop. Think of like a choose your own adventure book, but instead of you deciding, the board decides depending on how you're playing. Right. If you're doing well, you're going to go down this path because you're picking up clues, and if too much doom gets added to the board and the scenario sheet, you're going to go down a different path. And that's where the replayability comes in is you may go down the first, this, you know, the left path on the first branch and a different path on the second branch and a third path on a third Mm -hmm. branch. And each scenario is going to have those kind of a a tree-like branching. So you're not always going to go down the same path every time unless you consistently are doing bad every game. And then, yeah, you're going to hit the bad path, the bad path, the bad path, and then lose the game Mm. that was the other thing is there's multiple endings that you can get there's usually like the hurrah we did it everything's happy there's the i well i guess we won ending that i've seen and then there's the yep oh yep we we done screwed up everything is horrible and we did not win there's others out there but in generally they seem to be in those three buckets Mm -hmm. because it's scenario based the monster cup is gone so you don't get to pull a random monster out of a bag they actually have, they build you a specific deck for each scenario of which monsters are using. So Azathoth is very cultist heavy and Hound of Tindalos heavy. So the deck is loaded with those guys opposed to monsters that really don't fit the theme. Mm-hmm. And monsters are now little mini cards opposed to tokens. A little bit of a change, but pretty much they kind of operate off the same mechanic of they run around and screw everything up in the town. The good news is they usually have some sort of movement mechanic that they're either going towards a specific location or towards a specific investigator. Mm-hmm. No longer are they going clockwise or clock, counterclockwise wandering the streets of Arkham. It was neat, but it was also obnoxious to to use the mythos effect in 2nd edition where, all right, there's nine different symbols of monsters. Uh, square, diamond, circle are moving along the black path. Um, star, moon, and whatever that line is, whatever this symbol is, goes along the other path. And sometimes they don't even activate at all. So, monsters are a lot more active now and a lot easier to manage. The only thing I would say discredits them is because it is a card sitting on the board. Mm-hmm. And if they're in their readied side, it's a dark side of the card on our, you know, shadowy side of the board. There was a couple times that I lost a monster and went, oh, we never activated that guy because he wasn't in our face. Mm-hmm. He was on the other side of town and whoops, we should have probably done activated him. So I think if you sleeve the card, it might actually pop a little bit more and be a little bit easier to spot on the board. That would be my takeaway of I like the monster cards, but the tokens popped a little bit better. And better yet, if you had the tokens, you could put them on little standees and move them around. And they were like this nice little 3D thing that you you had. Mm -hmm. You could probably do that with the card, but I would be worried about damaging the card too much uh, Mm -hmm. compared to a cardboard token. Clues, Encounters, and Doom. A little bit different. Clues are something like Eldritch Horror. You have to go to the area where the clue is spawned, have Mm -hmm. a specific encounter there to be able to get that clue. In 2nd edition, you just ran over, picked it up, and that was your turn. 
So you have to do a little work for these things. When a clue spawns, you you take a special event deck that spawned it, which has the same back as the neighborhood it goes into. You take the top two cards of that neighborhood deck, you take your clue encounter, you shuffle them together, and now you know you're going to get a clue within the first three encounters in that neighborhood. It might be in the top, might be in the middle, might be third one in, but you, you stack the deck in such a way that it will come up sooner than later to help progress the game in a positive manner. Mm-hmm. Doom kind of likewise comes out of that event deck. You don't you drop from the back of the deck, so you don't see where the Doom's going to be coming next. And a location gets a Doom counter. Now, most of the scenarios have this um, starting card called Anomalies, which is kind of like weird stuff's going on in town, and they, there's an associated deck for that scenario. If a neighborhood gets five Doom, or one space gets three Doom, Anomalies gets placed on the board and covers up the clues, so you can't earn clues because you have to take these in special encounters instead, which usually help you remove the Doom. Mm-hmm. But that's what they kind of put in there instead of going through other world gates is weird stuff is going on in town and now you're experiencing the weird stuff opposed to the less than uh, weird normal stuff. And then even when that, like if you don't jump over there, take care of any uh, doom on the board and more doom is put on the board that's meant for that district, instead of going on that district, it moves over to the scenario card. Which is what the uh, codex cards are watching for. Of usually it's once three or more doom, or six or more doom, or some number of doom are on the car, on the scenario sheet. Flip this card and do the bad stuff. So keeping that under wraps is usually your uh, one of your ways to keep the game mm-hmm. in from spiraling out of control. Order of events. So when you have your turn in Arkham Horror Second Edition, it was a I'm first player, I get to move first. Then the player clockwise to me gets to move, and and so on and so forth. All right, it's back to me. Now I get to do my event. And clockwise around the board it goes again. Mm -hmm. All right. So since they removed that piece of it, I can be the first player to take my actions in a round, but I don't have to be the first player to take an event in my space. It's completely up to player choice. You just want to make sure everyone who's going to get an event gets an event before you move on the phases of the game shift shifted up a little bit players go first and do their their two actions around monsters have an opportunity to do something you have your event for whatever neighborhood or location that you're standing in unless you're tangling a tangling with a monster then you don't get an event because it's a monster in the way uh and then you go to the mythos cup and the mythos phase in this is i really like it yeah. I know the first time that you played this, you were like, no, I, don't, I want nothing to do with this bag ever again. Because on the scenario sheet, you build a mythos cup of these little quarter-sized tokens. Very much like the card game where you build that chaos bag of the randomizing, uh, all right, I'm going to make a check. Let me pull out my, instead of rolling a die, let me pull something a token out of this bag and see what my modifier is. So they took that idea and put it in this game instead of modifiers to a check because they still use your dice to make your skill checks there's different tokens you can pull out of the bag and depending on what you pull something happens now some of them are neutral there's like one that's good and then the rest of it is a grading a graded scale of bad to worse would you agree yeah oh yeah, yeah definitely 
on that scale, there are sometimes blank tokens where nothing happens. The Oh, the crazy thing is you pull two tokens out of this bag for yourself, and then every player pulls tokens out of this bag until everyone's yeah. pulled two. You pull two, and you hold on to them. You do not put them back into the bag until they're they're all gone. Everyone throws them back in. Right. So when you see how you set up the bag, that's what you have to get through before you're allowed to reshuffle the bag. Right. Which is great and terrible because some of the bad stuff might sit in the bag until the very end, and then it recycles, and then the really bad stuff happens right away again. We've played enough games that, yes, that happens. So, you know what? It reminds me of Pandemic, of like the back-to-back epidemics where it's like, man, we just had one. Yeah, it can happen like that too. Or it could be, man, it's been, we had one really early. It's been a while. Like, it's been a long time since we've had one and a really bad thing's going to happen really soon. It's also, uh, it also works in the opposite, like, uh. The first game we played together, where we were about to win-ish, you know, that middle ground winning. Um, so long as if everything goes right, we'll pull this out. And it, you grabbed the bag first, and it was just like, every one of us would put our hand in that bag, and we'd all hold our breath, one by one. Played, uh, that one we had three people. Yeah. Uh, so, six tokens... Fresh bag, six tokens. All of us are grabbing one by one, just terrified. So, talk about pulling things. You can get a blank token, which means nothing happens. It is one of the better ones. Um, You can spawn a clue, which is usually a good thing. Mm -hmm. So, you'll you'll put a clue out on the board, which is what you want to help usually progress the game in a positive manner. And then it all gets worse from there. So, there's this uh, newspaper headline. So, you build this newspaper deck... And it's kind of like random events around the town are happening. Maybe it's mysterious disappearances. Maybe um, the unions are being tough. And so they're usually like these ongoing kind of persistent effects. If you know the second edition game on the Mythos card that you draw, there's usually like the spawn a gate here, um, monsters move. And then there's like a a body of the text of like, here's a little bit of flavor. That's what these headline cards are. Mm-hmm. Now, you only get 13 of them at the start of the game. There's a bun- There's like 30 or so in the game itself, and you just shuffle and you draw 13, and that's your stack for the game. And if you need to draw one of these cards and can't because you've run through them all, you start putting Doom on the scenario sheet. So it acts as kind of a timer to the game. If you're not moving through f- turns fast enough, you're just going to start putting Doom because you ran out of tokens, or ran out of these cards. Then you can spawn a monster. I actually put that as like the next best one. <laughs> Because spawning a monster is like, okay, that's something we have to deal with. Then there's spread doom. So like putting a clue out, spreading doom is put a doom out. And then there's the two worst ones, in my opinion. Gate burst, which is take the uh, top card of the deck and put a doom in each space in that district. So it's usually three doom out at once, which can cause the anomalies to pop. It's usually mm. bad. Then, very much like an epidemic and pandemic... You take the entire discard pile plus the gate burst that you drew, shuffle it, and put it at the bottom of the deck. So when you're spawning more Doom, you're drawing from the cards that you already had played. That was, Yay. We've had games where that 
instantly got reshuffled and we just kept putting Doom into the same district over and over and over again. The good news is we only got to concentrate on one space, so we were able to get it under mm-hmm. control eventually, but yeah. It's no. like we we walk away for two seconds, we're like, oh, okay, run right. back over, take yeah. care of it. Uh, and then finally, the Reckoning uh, token that's in there. Reckoning usually triggers a bunch of effects. There's usually one on the scenario sheet, but then things like your dark packs that you earn as an item might have a Reckoning effect. So it's a lot of random effects that are going to pop off using that token usually some of the worst effects come off of that. After you, everyone's drawn their, their Mythos Cup bag tokens and everyone's had their two poles, you start right back over with your player actions again. Some of the other things that are a little bit different, they got rid of unique items. Um, there's actually one item deck now, and in within it there's common items and what they call curio items. So they kind of just put it all in one deck. And instead of the shopping that second edition used to do, you went to the general store, you would pick up three cards of the of the the common item deck and buy one of them. Five cards are always face up from the from the item deck and they call that the display. So usually the game will tell you, "Oh, buy an item from the display at at cost or mm-hmm. at a reduced cost or at a higher cost." And you kind of have this display of items that you can choose between or you can go random if it's something that you gain an item. So mm-hmm. They, they mix it up a little bit there. That's a little bit from Eldritch Horror 2. The whole reserve row in that mm. is kind of what they, I think, what they got uh, fixated on. Uh, the spell deck is so far pretty tiny. It's much like the spells from 2nd edition where your spell effect is your spell effect is your spell effect. Uh, it costs sanity to cast spells usually, but you're not flipping over and seeing a mysterious back of the card. You know what the effect's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, allies are pretty much a general thing. Nice thing about allies this time around is not only they give you a special ability or a skill boost, they have a health and sanity, much like the card game, where if you take damage or, or sanity and horror, you can assign that to your allies instead. And if they take too much, then they'll be discarded and lost, but that, that's saving you from taking the the hit Mm. yourself. Uh, there are some special cards, your blessings, your curses, which are been pretty much an Arkham file standard. Blessing means you need a four, five, or six to pass a check, and a curse means you need sixes only. Dark packs are back. That's usually like, oh man, you made a you made a really bad deal, and hope a reckoning doesn't come and make you roll a die and naturally get a one, because then the really really bad stuff happens to you. But then there are some events that will you can go to the police station and maybe you the sheriff will deputize you because of the event so there's a whole list of these special cards that you can you just go through and grab whichever one says uh, that it says you earned for Mm -hmm. your event uh the only other real token that we've we didn't really talk about was remnant tokens it's this game's answer to monster trophies so before if you in second edition if you killed a monster you you kept its trophy and then you could go to certain places and cash those in for items or money or or you can get blessed, or you could do a lot of stuff with those. So they have these little tentacle tokens called remnants that you earn from killing certain monsters or some other events may give you a remnant. Uh, if you remove two doom in a single action, like a single mm-hmm. roll, you can earn a remnant from that. So there's a lot of ways to get these, and there's a lot of encounters that will say, make a check, or if you have a remnant, you can spend it to get this mm-hmm. effect off. Um, spells also... You can use remnants instead of sanity. 
yeah. for one for one. So that for your spellcasters, get remnants. They help a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, focus tokens. This wasn't in second edition, but in Eldritch Horror is probably the best example. You had improvement tokens where you can improve your strength and then you'll get a little chip that had a little like your strength icon and a plus one next to it. Eldritch Horror also introduced focus tokens that you could grab and you can spend the focus token as a reroll. Arkham Horror 3rd Edition took both of those and smashed them together. Your focus token is a positive plus one to your skill as long as you have that token on your sheet. But you can also spend that token as a reroll in a check if you really need to. And they're a lot easier to grab that you can actually take an action at any point in the turn to grab a focus token. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the investigators will have a limit. Usually it's two, where you can have two of these tokens on your sheet. There's a few of them that break that rule. But, oh. But normally you're limited to two of those tokens. Mm. You're thinking of Rex Murphy, the guy who's cursed. Yeah, but he can have, he can have his, his two his, of each. If he has that special card. Mm-hmm. So he can have any number of focus tokens. Normally you can only have one of each kind, but he has a special card that allows him to get two of each kind because he is cursed always and always needs sixes to succeed. So he needs every little advantage he can get. So mm-hmm. the more dice you can chuck, um, the better you're going to have odds-wise of getting a six. Mm-hmm. So that's why they kind of try to balance out his weakness a little bit there, but rolling sixes is rough. Yeah. Oh, trust me. I That first game, yeah. Yeah, you played a lot of, uh, uh, I guess I'm going to have to re-roll all this. I guess yeah. I'm going to have to re-roll this. He's, he's meant to just keep re-rolling stuff. Yeah. I mean, square peg, round hole, maybe. Keep, mm. keep making it work until it happens. That's the overview of the game and a lot of the differences between 2nd and 3rd edition. I'm going to kind of put this into our outcome as far as a recommendation goes. So, any final thoughts on Arkham Horror 3rd edition? Ricky's final thought, it good. Well said. Very succinct. <laughs> But, uh, no, um, I mean, we didn't mention it. If you are new to the Arkham Horror, um, board game, this is a game that's up to six players, but it's also, uh, a solo game, so you can play by yourself. I haven't yet. I am definitely going to, um, pick up a copy, um, as soon as my store gets it in, and I will be playing a lot by myself, but from what I've experienced... Playing with Justin, it is a lot of fun. It, I do like the fact that you can play the game a lot and not necessarily experience the same story. You know, you always hear people say, this game has replayability because um, you can replay it and you'll get different outcomes. This is truly a lot of different outcomes just based on how you play it. It is a game that I would recommend if you like mysteries, if you like cooperative games definitely take a look at this there's a lot of reading involved so i definitely i would recommend it as well if you like spooky stuff if you like lovecraftian things if you just like a good solid co-op game it has a lot of great elements in it i would probably say depending on the maturity of the child probably 12 plus mainly because it is things that go bump in the night it's 1920 so there is uh, um, bootlegger clubs that you can visit and gangsters and gambling and and prohibition era level of theme so you know take that as 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 you will with your as you as you introduce this to little kids or not little as you introduce this to kids not to say that 12 is the right age but i think it's a good benchmark of you know you know you know the kid that you're introducing it to 
just make sure that they're at least familiar with these elements or you're okay with those elements being in the game. Justin, this game says 14 and up. It does and say... up. Up? No. But yeah, if if your kid can handle it, we're not the kid police. I don't even know the first thing about children, but they'll They are smaller than you, usually. Most people are. Right. I think that is all we have to say about Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. I'm really excited for the game coming out, and I hope you are too. That's Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. In a nutshell, Tabletop Arcanum does recommend it. With the grain of salt thinking that if you're into spooky, if you're into Lovecraft, if you're into co-op games, there's something in here for you. If those things are not what's going to get you going, maybe you need to look elsewhere. But mechanically, it's very solid. Narratively, it's very solid. And I think it has a lot of potential of growth. As they're going to add more investigators, more boards, more scenarios, more twists. Because we've only seen so many cards of the Codex. And they can do a lot more with that as they release expansions. Because this is Fantasy Flight. Let's face it, there will be expansions coming soon. Probably announced within the next half a year, I Mm. would say. I'd also like to put in, too, the one thing I thoroughly enjoyed. Again, you know, all this recommended because it is a very serious, a very um, horror-based game. And what is so great about it is you are just enthralled with the story and you pick up a card and there's a joke on it. They, they, they've got good jokes. They, they, uh, they got me a few times where I'm just sweating from what's happening and then just the most ridiculous thing can happen on this card, so... Right. You know, they they definitely made uh, a little bit of light of themselves in a couple pieces, so definitely enjoy the game, and happy rolling on it, because you're going to need some good rolls to to make this happen. A couple last-minute announcements as we wrap up here. Uh, Next episode will be featuring Gateway Games, along with probably a holiday buying guide. Because we're going to be rolling right into our, our prime holiday gift-giving season. So we'll have some recommended recommended games for not only, hey, you have a friend you want to get into gaming. Maybe you want to get them a board game or something simple to kind of wet their whistle. Get Gateway games are going to be a great way to do that. Or what do you get that gamer who has a room full of games? Justin. No, I'm not a gift. Fair well, enough. I might be a gift to this world, but... Ego check. <laughs> Talking about receiving a gift. Right now, uh, we're still running our giveaway. Um, we are giving away a copy of Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. You will need to go onto our Facebook page, like our Facebook page, share the post, and uh, good luck to you. We'd love to put this in your collection. This is a great game, and you're going to love it as much as we do. Absolutely. So we are running that until... November 9th. And then we'll announce the drawing, enter in that contest, and hopefully we'll be able to give you a copy. So until next time, may the blessing of Nodens be with you on your rolls, as you're going to need it in Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. You've been listening to Tabletop Arcanum, hosted by Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, and featuring the original music by Paul Moore and Isaac Gilbert. 
You can follow us on most social media platforms. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. Thank you.